Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. As you may have noticed over the past couple of episodes, I've been in a rather introspective mood. And I think it's a an experience that a lot of us don't get to have very often. And that is to have a lot of time alone. My wife and son took off about a week ago to go to New York to visit um, my wife's family and to help her mother out up there and do some things. And I decided I would just stay here and try to get some work done, maybe get a few episodes ahead on the podcast and, you know, feed the critters and do some stuff like this and just kind of enjoy the quiet. And what you quickly discover if, um, if you spend some time alone is that it's a very, very odd feeling that begins to overtake you. You begin to notice the lack of distractions. You know, I can remember um, reading a book, sitting in a chair, let's say two weeks ago, thumbing through a book that I got at the library or something and reading it, and my son being over at the piano, improvising madly and wailing away on the piano and getting up and walking out of the room because I couldn't even finish a sentence It, you know, I would get halfway through a sentence and he would bang some high notes. And I was so distracted that I, I couldn't actually read. So I just walk in the other room and, and try to read. And then I would think, well, why am I even reading this? And maybe go back in and listen to Jackson play. And then he would go off and do something else. And my wife would come in and she would be telling me about, what was going on in her day at work and, you know, that her mother called and this and that was going on. And just, there were just a lot of distractions, not bad. I mean, it's, it's called real life and I, I enjoy real life, but you begin to, when there's too much of that going on, you begin to crave a little bit of solitude, a little bit of peace and quiet. You know, I just, like if I could only just get some time to think and then it's handed to you on a silver platter and the first day is great. You're like, wow, this is, ah, it's so quiet around here. And then the quiet begins to eat at you. You know, after, after four or five days of this, you really begin to miss all the ruckus and all the chaos and, and all those distractions. Now I have to remind you, anybody that doesn't know this about me is that I do not have a television. A long time ago, I decided that a television was just a, a brainwashing tool because I, I saw how it had brainwashed me over large portions of my life. So got rid of the television and by some miracle, I convinced my wife that that also, you know, I got her to agree with me. In fact, I told her one time that if we ever get another television, that I'm moving into the barn and I'm just going to live in the barn because I will not live in a house with a television. (laughs) She has humored me. And I think, uh, you know, I think there are times when she misses it. And now I will say this, we do have a television 
it's uh it was actually a a monitor that that was that was used when I would shoot instructional videos. I would hook that monitor up to the camera so that I could look over there and you know see how the neck was positioned was I within the frame and that kind of thing. I could just kind of see what was being recorded. And so I used that monitor. Well, after a while it, it dawned on me that, you know, that thing was, could also be used as a, as a television receiver. You could, you know, hook a DVD player up to it and play it. And so sometimes my wife would, you know, play DVDs and Jackson watch some stuff. Um, one time we, we got, uh, like all the little house on the prairie, the whole box set. And he watched a bunch of that. We had uh, get smart and, you know, Beverly hillbillies and stuff like that. And, but it never became overwhelming and there were very limited commercials. I mean, they do build the commercials into the programming. And they call it programming for a reason, but I don't mean to get off on this anti-TV thing. When I start my other podcast, you know, that, that podcast, that's going to be like, Brad, tell us what you really think. I'll do it over there. But I just want to tell you why it's so quiet around here. I don't walk around with a smartphone in my hand. I don't like them and I don't use them. If I get on the internet, I get on with intention. I turn on the computer, wait for it to boot up, connect to the Wi-Fi, go to my mail program, and download any emails that I might have received. And as I've said before, I'm usually scanning that email for a person who has purchased one of my products because... You know, they sent me $15 and they, they expected to get something in return. And I'm looking for the person doesn't happen very often, but I'm looking for the person that's having some sort of difficulty downloading the product because I have an obligation at that point. I've taken their money through PayPal and all that, and they are supposed to get something in return. And if they're having trouble doing that little process and for 99% of the people, there's no problem. But once in a while, somebody doesn't notice, you know, a little sentence that I've written in the description that says something like, you know, if you're an iPad user, please read this before ordering. Or if I say this is a rather large file and the download process works best when you use your desktop or laptop you know, computer to do the download, it's very difficult to transfer these files directly to your smartphone or tablet. Well, you know, some people just don't spot that or don't notice it. There are a lot of people coming along today that have a tablet and that's the only thing they have. And it, it, it acts like a computer. They can surf the web and they can watch YouTube and they can check their email. They can buy stuff on Amazon and it, they think, wow, this is a computer, but it's really not. There's a lot of things a computer can do that that laptop, I mean, that that tablet cannot do. There are apps for this and apps for that. And, you know, they're, they're attempting to make the tablet or the smartphone be able to do everything that a computer can do. But there are a lot of tasks that are better left to a full-blown computer. And when you're going to download, I'll just use as an example, the, uh, 
the mandolin treasure chest, which is 24 videos. And I don't remember how many, how many eBooks it is a pile. It's, you know, nearly two gigabytes of stuff and you have to unzip the file. And then there are all these PDF files and MP3 files. It works smooth as silk on a, on a standard computer, laptop, desktop, that kind of thing. But if somebody were to uh, be surfing on their phone, and run across that and it says buy now and they go ahead and buy it. They can do the transaction and then it says download. Well, what's about to happen? They expect all that stuff to go onto their phone and then what are they going to do with it? You know, it's, it's, so you run into people like this that have these devices and that's what I'm looking for. When I go to my email, I'm looking for that person that's had that little problem. And usually I'll get an email and it says sent from my iPad. Ah, um, if you have a laptop or desktop, just forward the email to yourself and go to that machine and hit the download link in the email and you watch, it'll just work smooth as silk. And usually they write back and go, you were right. That's great. I got it. Everything's cool. But once in a while, and I'm seeing it a little more frequently. Now you've got the person that does not have any other device. So sometimes it's like children have bought their retired parent a tablet and it's their first computer or they think it's a computer and they're doing all these things. They just don't really understand, you know, what a real computer does compared to a tablet. And I, I've noticed, I walked through the Walmart computer section the other day and I saw that they now have, I thought there were little laptops and I realized they're nothing but a, but a tablet that folds open and has a little keyboard, but it's still just a tablet. It doesn't have a hard drive in it. It's uh, only connection with the outer world is Wi-Fi, And it looks like a computer, but it's, it's a glorified tablet. And then you go on the next aisle over and there are the sure enough computers. Anyway, so that's what I do. I turn on the email, you know, fire up everything. It takes a few minutes sipping my coffee, check my email. I see I don't have any problems there. Shut down, go about my daily business, check it again tomorrow. So this quiet began to build up in the house and it dawned on me that most people have a great deal of difficulty dealing with silence. I guess being comfortable with your own thoughts, your thoughts and your thoughts alone. And for example, if you're listening to this right now, you're having your own thoughts, but you're also being exposed to my thoughts. So if you just hit stop, now what are you thinking about? Those thoughts a lot of times for people are very, very scary to be just alone with your thoughts. And, you know, by doing this podcasting, and I, I suppose in a little way in, in writing books and writing scripts for videos and things like this, I've spent a lot of time in that world of just being inside my own head and trying to deliver that. But on the other end is somebody who's receiving it. And the question is, can you, can you turn off the input and not go insane? I remember a long time ago, I was in the habit of, if I was 
awake, the television would be on. I mean, I'd get up first thing in the morning, hit that remote, boom, TV's going. And I can remember sl going to sleep and the television's still going. And waking up and realizing it's on and shutting it off. That thing was running all the time. And if it wasn't that, if I was in the car, it was the radio. If it wasn't radio, it was playing tapes or CDs. Always had to have that input coming in to blank out those internal thoughts. And I think that a lot of this uh, crazy world we live in is designed that way. And this brings us down to uh, something that people have to wrestle with if you ever allow the input to stop so that you can process your own thoughts and sort out, well, what is really my thought versus what is a thought that I heard somebody else say? At some point, you have to come to terms with this dividing line of deciding things that happen, things that happen to you, things that happen in the world, things that occur. Are they occurring by chance or are they occurring because of a cause, cause and effect? I'll give you a little example of this. About three days ago, well, first of all, let me tell you, in, a, in our backyard, we have these tremendous, huge pecan trees. They're probably 90 feet tall, really big, old, spreading pecan trees. And occasionally when a storm blows up, a little thunderstorm or something, the wind will get up and a large limb or a branch will break out of one of those trees. So I get up one morning last week and I walk out in the back and I see that this tremendous limb, which is probably, I don't know, 40 feet long and probably 12 inches in diameter where it was connected to the tree, maybe 10 inches, had snapped off and the branch had fallen to the ground and the butt end of that limb was jammed up against the tree. So it was kind of leaning there. I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have to get the chainsaw out. I'm going to have to get the tractor out, hook a rope on that thing and try to pull it down to the ground so that I can trim all the limbs off and then cut it up for firewood and move it and haul it and all this. And I'm, I'm just studying on this, but it, it was drizzly and rainy and the ground was real soft and I, I didn't want to get out there with a tractor. So I've, I've just looked at this thing for a couple of days thinking I'm going to have to get the thing pulled down and cut up. I'm getting to this cause effect thing. So I decide, well, I really want to pull that thing down. So I'm going to go out and tie a rope onto it and I'll just use my car instead of the tractor because I might churn up the ground with a tractor. I'll just see if I can pull my little Toyota around over there and tie that rope on the, on the trailer hitch and just bump it a few times, tug on it a few times, see if it'll come crashing down. So I pull the car around there right beside the limb so that I'm close enough that I can get the rope to it. And I'm looking around for the rope and, well, the cat comes around and is hanging around under the branch and the dog is walking around right under it. I'm like, I'm going to have to do this later. Because if I pull this down and squash the cat, my wife is going to kill me. So I just decided just, I'm just going to deal with this tomorrow. So about... 10 o'clock at night, I go out to feed the dog 
and I see that my car is still parked right there next to that branch. I'm thinking, I probably shouldn't leave that car parked there. I'll, I'll get in, pull it back around to the usual spot I park next to the house. So I hop in the car and I drive and I go to park and then I get out and I'm walking back toward the back door of the house and I hear this cracking crash sound. And I swear to you, another tree about, I, I don't know how far apart they are, maybe 40, 40 feet apart, 50 feet apart. The next tree over, this gigantic branch, this one is bigger than the first one, did the exact same thing. The weight of that branch finally overtook its ability to hold itself up. And I'll bet you that entire limb weighs a thousand pounds. And I, I used to sit on the, on the screen porch and look at that limb and I'd see squirrels running up and down that long outstretched limb. And I'd think, man, that is some strong wood to be able to hold itself up like that. That's just amazing. Well, it gave up. It finally gave up. And that, thousand pound branch crashed to the ground exactly where my car was parked five minutes before. And I was thinking, you know, if I had come out there five minutes later and moved to move my car, that thing may have fallen and crushed my car or crushed me. It's just weird. You know, so was I given some sort of premonition that what made me think I need to move my car. Was it just random? Does this stuff really just happen randomly? Is it just pure chance? Or is there some cause and effect? Now I can, I can look at the branch falling itself and say, well, there's, if I think about it, I could say, well, this is just chance. You never know. You never know when that branch may finally fall, you know? Well, that's a, that's one way to look at it, but you could also say, well, that branch fell for a reason. Eventually the branch grew and grew and grew and the weight and the leverage that the outer limbs and the, the drizzly rain we had was get, making all the leaves wet and making that branch even heavier. Eventually, if you studied the physics of it, you could say, well, the cause of the branch breaking was the weight finally exceeded the carrying capacity of the base of the branch. It is cause and effect. It's not chance that brought that tree limb down. There was a cause. It came down because of gravity and because of weakness. And there was a cause, but it's weird timing. So, well, then what about me going out to move my car? And if I didn't move my car, my car would be smashed or at least pretty well bashed up. It's just weird. Now, how can I think, well, there's a cause that made the limb come down, but I just say, but there's, there's no cause that caused me to suddenly think I should move my car. That was just chance. And I was just lucky. And that was the first thing I thought. In fact, when I talked to my wife in the morning, I told her this story and I said, you know what? Some days I go around thinking I'm, I'm so unlucky. This little cloud following me around, and, you know, the toilet, I went to flush the toilet and the, the handle broke off and. Little stuff like that all the time. I, you know, I went to drive to the store, had a nail in my tire. I'm thinking, man, I'm unlucky. And, but then when I saw that, I thought, man, I'm lucky. 
five minutes, five minutes difference. And I'd be really unlucky. So I must be really lucky, but maybe there is a cause. Maybe there's a cause that we don't understand. You know, if the dog looked up there and I think the dog was out there when, when it fell, the dog would look up and see that the tree branch crashed down, but would not think of the cause, you know, not enough brain power to think about why that thing, you know, knows nothing of physics or the strength of pecan wood or whatever. And would just chalk it up to chance. But maybe that's just because the dog doesn't understand the cause, the possible linkage between cause and effect. And I think we look at a lot of life that way. We go around thinking stuff's just all happening by chance. And I'm saying, I don't believe that. I think most, I, I really can't think of an example that of a, of an, of an effect that doesn't have a preceding cause. It's cause and effect with everything. You may just not know what it is. Like, for example, I don't know what made me think to move my car at that time. I don't know the cause, but I know there was a cause because there was no cause. I wouldn't have done it. So you're thinking, okay, Brad, you're spending way too much time alone. You're spending way too much time thinking, what has this got to do with bluegrass? I don't know that it has anything to do with bluegrass other than the fact that bluegrass is a part of life. It's certainly been a part of my life and that wrestling with these questions, I think, if you can come to some resolution in your mind as to what's it all about and how does it all work, I think it'll help you play better music. I think you can also divide the the people that take up playing music into two camps. It's similar to the people who believe in cause and effect and the people who believe in luck. And I think you can divide music students or people who have an interest in playing an instrument, you can divide those into two camps. And by the way, I, I like to divide things into two things so that I can compare them. So I think about a person who decides he wants to play the banjo or wants to play the mandolin or wishes he could play guitar. You know, he, he saw Billy strings on a YouTube video and he goes, man, I wish I could do that. Now, all the people that do that, in my case, it was hearing Earl Scruggs, seeing Bill Monroe play, you know, listen to Jim and Jesse records, it, it's stuff like that that made me think, man, if I could just do that. Well, then comes that dividing line. All You take all those people that say, man, I wish I could do that. Take all those people and you can divide them into two camps. One side of that is the side that sees the ability to make music as a way to communicate with people, to tell people what they're feeling, to express themselves, or as a means to discover like the meaning of, of life and things like it's like really big and they, and they almost cannot help themselves, but get into it once, once they decided that hey, music may be the path. And for some people, it might be painting or photography or sculpture or writing or basket weaving or wood carving or whatever. They see this thing and they say, man, I wish I could do that. But, but then you, you ask yourself, well, why? Why do they want to do it? Some people want to do it to express themselves, 
to be noticed, to be have that audience, even if it's one person just listening to them, hear what they're doing and understand them. Or it could be 30,000 people and they want to do it and be, be understood and communicate on some kind of level using music. Or it could be playing all alone and just hearing the sounds come back into your own ears so that you understand yourself. So that's that one side. Then the other side are the people that they had that same feeling, man, I wish I could do that, but they are, they are interested in it for kind of a different reason. They're not really trying to find the meaning of life or express themselves or find a way to fulfill their, you know, boost their ego or whatever. They're, they're more like just curious, like, huh, that's kind of cool. I wonder if I could do that. And they take it up almost like somebody would take up a hobby. You know, like my dad got into doing paint by numbers. He started buying paint by number sets and he would sit around paint by number. I thought it was hilarious. I was like, dad, why don't you uh, take him same paints and just get you a blank canvas and just see what you can do. Nah, I, I like this. Well, you're just doing a paint by number. He used to frame him. His house was full of these paint by numbers he had worked on. He was doing it for a different reason. He was doing it as a distraction, something to kill time. Something just to have something to do. And I've had a lot of students come along over the years that I knew, I just knew that they really had no interest in becoming a musician. They just kind of want somebody to talk to, want something to do, you know? And, and you know what? That's okay. I sell my stuff and give away my instructional materials and thoughts, all this stuff to both camps. I don't care which camp you're in. There's a lot of things I've done in my life that I really did for a while more out of curiosity, you know, getting into making arrowheads or ham radio. I mean, you know, five years are just radio, ham radio, ham radio, you know. And then, you know, once I kind of had the puzzles worked out and felt like, wow, that was, that was interesting. And I moved on and I just I didn't do it anymore. A lot of people are that way with the banjo or the mandolin. You know, they're fascinated by it and they're curious and they, they're just looking for some distraction, something to get their mind off what, you know, what they're doing at work or, you know, maybe they're just lonesome and they think, well, if I could play, I could go to the jam session. I wouldn't be so lonesome. You know? That's true. Th those are all good reasons to, to make music too. So I pedal my wares to both. But when I'm talking, when I write a book or when I'm speaking in a video, or when I'm talking to you in this podcast, I don't really know which camp you're in. You don't even may not even know which camp you're in. Some people start in one camp, jump to the other and then jump back and then jump away. So I don't, it's, it's a bizarre feeling to sit here and be talking to somebody and I don't really know you. I think you're beginning to know me. <laughs> well, I, I guess it's by free choice. If you didn't want to, you wouldn't listen. And I think that, if I do anything with this podcast is by telling you about myself and the way I think about things, and it might get you to do the same thing and think about things in your life and ask yourself the question, why do I even want to do this? Why, why do I want to play any bluegrass? As I tell you what, it, it bugs me that I see a lot of people, especially at what I would call lower caliber jam sessions that I don't think they really know why they want to do it. 
It's, it's certainly not because they ever want to perform or, or record or do anything. It's just, it's just something to do, you know, just something to do. And I've seen some great musicians that ended up in that camp and just kind of like grouchy and they'd come to jams and they'd play and, you know, they ended up over in that camp is just something to do. And then you see some people that they just get into it and it's just something to do. And they begin to feel what music can do to certain people at certain times in their lives. And they, and they move over to the other side and, and they want to perform and do, do things on a bigger level. And anyway, it's just bizarre to sit here and, and talk to people. And I don't really know you. I know a couple of you who listen. But if I get you to at least think and ask yourself those questions, maybe you will be find more satisfaction in the music that you make, whichever camp you're in. And going back to the cause and effect, let me just end with this one thing. If you want the effect, you can create the causes. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't because you have to figure out, I would like to be able to play... I'll use this example. I would like to be able to play Foggy Mountain Breakdown on the banjo at 130 beats a minute. Okay. To do that, you're going to have to do the things that cause that to happen. If you're successful in choosing the things, it will happen. That, if you believe like I do in cause and effect. You're not just going to get lucky. You know, you don't wake up one day and you're able to play Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Maybe Earl was. But I don't think that's true either. He sat around, you know, plunking around on his banjo for a lot of hours before Foggy Mountain Breakdown came to be. So think about cause and effect and also think about which of those two camps are you in. And, and I don't care which one you're in. There's value in both, both those camps. It's a hobby. It's something to do. I'm just fooling around with it and, uh, you know. I know I'm never going to be any good. If, if that's what you say, great, because you also might be great at something else. Or maybe maybe you'll just learn from this a little bit that, hey, you know what? You might come away going, I'm never going to be a banjo player. I'm going to take up the next thing. And so maybe this uh, music for you just serves as a distraction. More power to you. Hey, I'm all for you, and I got I got plenty of stuff there to keep you on that path. And it, it is fun, even if you don't really want to do anything with it. If you're in the other camp, most of those people don't need much. They might uh, seek out a little information, but they, they really don't need much. Um, you know, it, it's, I found that the better students I had tended to take the fewest lessons because um, they would, they were just looking for information. And sometimes you could kind of point them in a direction and light their fuse and like a bottle rocket off they'd go, you know? Anyway, I like people in both camps and I, I live in both camps with a lot of things that I do in this, in this life. Anyway, just trying to get y'all thinking a little bit and uh, perhaps spend a, a week or two alone and turn off the television and uh, put down the iPhone and just uh, sit out in the yard and look at that tree out there and go, I wonder when that branch is going to fall. I'll talk to y'all on the next podcast. Hey, and one more thing before I go. I'm going to um, use some non-bluegrass music for the outro for for today's episode. And uh, this was done by, it's a, it's a song written by my uh, 
son-in-law, who's a musician up in Philadelphia, he had a band called the Carpet Squares. And I told him, this is back maybe four years ago, I said I was thinking about starting a podcast. Did he have any original material that I might be able to use as a as a theme song, an intro and an outro? And it, it wasn't going to be a bluegrass podcast. And so he he sent me these, and I'm just going to use one of them today as the outro. And uh, I really like it. It's it was a song he did called Peter Pan. So thanks, Pub Nick Fazzini. Here's a little bit of Peter Pan, a non-bluegrass outro for the Grass Talk radio show. Here you go. <laughs> 